Hey, hey, here we go. This is episode 49 of the Get Out and Surf podcast. Coming to you from Tamarindo, Costa Rica. I'm Joe Walsh. I'm sitting here with Nikki Hearn. Hello, Nikki. Good morning, good morning, and another beautiful day here in uh, Tamarindo, Costa Rica. We're finally doing an early podcast where the brewery's closed and there was no one on the roads, and we're just looking at all the equipment out here. Lights are off. It's kind of nice. Someone will start cutting something, or something will happen. I'm sure it will, but hopefully not. That's Tamarindo for you. Yep. <laughs> Patrick McNulty. What's up? Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, man. I think hey. I was here the last show. Yeah, you've been here for a good run because yeah. we missed you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing, man? You went to San Jose this week. Yeah, I went there and uh, did a uh, little uh, decompress. Yeah. Uh, Just sat in a hotel room, had room service, and watched TV and took naps. For two nights. Yeah. That's a good, that's a staycation. I mean, you go somewhere, just check into a room and just... I remember you used to do that in the old days. Oh, I still enjoy a nice air-conditioned hotel room, watch the HBO all day, get the Pizza Hut with the cheese in the crust. (laughs) 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 You don't have that in Tamarindo. I almost made it to Denny's this time. I didn't know it was too far away. (laughs) I always go to Denny's when I go to San Jose. Yeah. No, I don't even go to San Jose. I don't go anywhere. I barely drive. Just drive my scooter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... We've got a very, very interesting guest this week. Very excited to have you on the show. Mitch McNeil, welcome to Get Out and Surf. Hello, Get Out and Surf. How do I salute you? I mean, you're like the man in charge of Surfrider, the Chicago chapter. I think you're called the chair. Or yeah, the it's, ter- a ch- it's a chair title. Okay. But it's a very... It's a very impressive title to be a chair of a Surfrider chapter in the first I'm, place. I'm really impressed. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm impressed too. We have a common friend, Larry the Cheese. The Get Out and Surf podcast went up to Muskegon for the Great Lakes Surf Festival. We were all there. Um, he was talking about you then. Said you're doing some pretty rad stuff. And then I saw this photo of Gary, Indiana with the killer, killer wave and then some factories in the back. And, and I was reminded that that was actually your home break. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I live in the Chicago area. Okay. So for us, uh, we were always looking toward the, what we call the bottom of the lake, the southern tip that uh receives the the biggest north swell yeah and the so best winds from north to to south yeah, yeah i mean basically on the great lakes everything is kind of a westerly everything's moving from west to east uh-huh so um oh really yeah oh i thought it was also like north to south like storms coming out of the north there there are there are northerlies okay. and then rarely there are kind of easterly oriented systems but generally, it's from the west to the yeah, east. Yeah, everything's uh, like uh, the the upper altitude uh, jet streams mm-hmm. have a sort of west to east movement, generally speaking. So uh, things tend to hit one side and move to the other side. But we do get the the big north blow, um, and then you know south. So y- so you're like at the very the very su- southern end of Lake Michigan. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Do, do, do those different winds bring in, obviously, different uh, temperatures? And Recently, we've had this thing called the polar vortex uh, in the kind of the winter period. Uh, and that's just this massive thing coming down from the North Pole that uh, always brings big north wind and uh, some sort of scary precipitation. And everyone huddles in their little 
caverns. Except for the surfers that are putting on their, their six fives or their five fours. Right. The surfers get very excited. <laughs> are, have there actually been some decent waves? I'm sure there has. It's like in Chicago proper, like right there by like Navy Pier or by the aquarium? Yes. It's rare. Okay. Yeah. Chicago is not really a surfing destination, yeah. but there are times when you, g- you want to go out. Maybe you don't want to drive an extra half hour to Indiana. Yeah. And you accept something kind of less imposing. In one, at one of the city beaches. Every, every once in a while, maybe it totally turns on, though, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I could show you some pictures. Yeah, that's cool. So this that kind of brings us to how you and I connected, and that was over the fact that you're the chair of the Chicago Surfrider chapter, and you're involved in a lawsuit against U.S. Steel, yeah. that, one of the factories of many, right, that have lined the shores of uh, Lake Michigan for, like, over 100 years. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was doing a little, uh, just a little bit of looking online at what the Clean Water Act really is. And before 1948, I couldn't see that there was any sort of laws anywhere to protect the uh, the watershed, and uh, there was no like federal regulations on 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 water pollution. Is that can that be true? Uh, yes. Well, 72 is regarded as sort of the the watershed moment where we had massive law in place to suddenly protect the water. Yeah, it was pretty much uh, the Wild West before that. That's pretty much that's what's been that's what's called the Clean Water Act was right. the amendment Clean in Water and Air. Okay. Uh, under Nixon, by the way. Great. There you go. Yeah, he did. Nixon did some good things and he did some bad things, like all of them. But uh, <laughs> that was one of the good things. Yeah, he did. Right. We've got twenty percent of the fresh water on the planet is in the Great Lakes. Is that correct? Right. Okay. So one fifth of the entire fresh water on the planet is at risk. This lawsuit that your uh, surfwriters involved with with U.S. Steel, what is what are they doing and how can we, and, and what are you trying to stop? Where are we at now? We're, we're trying to help them reform their practice in ways that will uh, keep most of the poison out of the water. And they, they can do it. They just don't have the will. So and, they, and they don't have, there's no, there's no cop on the beat right now. Sure. So that so everything's backed off. So they're processing. Uh, they have, a, they have a, a byproduct or a discharge, some kind of liquid, some got some chemical content, and they should be treating it in a treatment plant or their own filtration system. But instead, it's cheaper, easier to just discharge it in the river. Is that what's going on? Yeah, that, that that's a nice generalization, I think. Okay. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Why don't you uh, like where are you at? How did you start? So um, I got connected with the surf community when I moved to Chicago and then I joined Surfrider because we had uh, an issue that was a catalyst for our chapter which was surfers being uh, thrown in jail by the police for surfing. Why would they do that? Well Chicago, very over-regulated city, has a uh, flotation device ban. What? Think about that. A flotation device ban. So, I mean, so actually on the beaches, if you were a lifeguard, you wouldn't be able to go <laughs> with a torpedo and save someone? Well, lifeguards are exempted. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. They don't want anybody even swimming. Anybody that's wearing a life jacket that fell overboard is exempted too. <laughs> yeah. So what? there was an event that transpired that was the catalyst for this regulation and in Chicago, because we have generally westerly winds, they're offshore, and they, they push unsuspecting flotation devices and whoever might be riding on them away from shore, 
and then problems occur if these people can't swim. So there was something that happened, and it was, you know, a tragic event. Someone got blown away. And they, uh, the city overreacted and just uh, enacted a, you know, oh, wow. a blanket okay. coverage on the <laughs> oh, okay. flotation devices, which includes surfboards. Was it a surfer or was it like a paddleboarder? No, this is someone on a like float, flotation like, like, raft, like, like a like a pool bed, like a inflatable pool. Okay, back raft. when that happened, Joe didn't have paddleboards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's probably happened a long time yeah. ago. Wow, There's so probably a piece of wood that a little kid jumped on to, to have a good time and went out to sea. Like uh, that. Oh, that sucks. So, <laughs> it does. our chapter f- formed around that, where surfers were being persecuted. Yeah. Unable to enjoy surfing. I mean, come on. You're in Chicago. There's waves. You got to go hit that. What was the punishment? What was the? Was it a fine? Or was it? What was? Te- temporary detainment. No in way. A, in a severe spanking. Yeah, I mean, a few hours in a cell. Oh. In, in, in a cold <laughs> wetsuit. <laughs> that would really stop. So, so he got arrested, and what what happened after that? Nothing really happened. I think once the the wheels of justice started spinning, they all realized this is a really bad PR move by the police to be following through with this action. and um, Like literally putting surfers in the back of a police car and <laughs> driving them down to the station? Yeah, there was one specific event in about 2008. Uh, a local legend surfer, uh, Jack Flynn, Captain Jack, uh, was surfing at a city beach and this thing happened. What happens is... Uh, there are residential towers that sit right along the the, the lake yeah. front. So you got these people up there with the binoculars up in you know twenty second floor, and they see someone in the lake, and it's winter, and they think oh, they're going to be a citizen hero, and they they phone nine one one. That's that's where the problems start. Well, honestly, well, most people probably aren't used to seeing people surfing in or in the, in the water at all when it's the middle of winter and it's freezing. And plus, because of the, the temperatures, you know, out here if you're in like Tamarindo, if the police are waiting for you on the beach, you know, you just sit there and you won't be cold. You just be sitting there in the water. But there, I imagine you can't sit in the out on the old lake too long. So they they arrested Captain Jack. Yeah, and uh, once that happened, the the, the shock waves through the surf community were intense and there was a a chapter over uh in michigan that was notified uh that um, you know maybe chicago needs a chapter we need to work on this issue of beach access for surfing which is something that every surf rider chapter has in their crosshairs beach access because there's problems everywhere sure uh so um the michigan chapter of surf rider reached out to the cadre of surfers in Chicago and we put together a chapter like overnight and I was foolish enough to raise my hand and say yeah I'll show up. So did you guys help to put the legislation in that reversed that uh, ban on float floating devices? Yeah our, our job number one was sitting down with the city and coming to an agreement about surfers and their special privileges uh, on what they call red flag days. Red flag days. Yeah, Which is gale force winds or heavy winds. Or that's right. like everybody out of the water. Right. And basically now what? You can surf those days? At your own risk. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a beach season that runs Memorial Weekend to Labor Day. 
So that's that's a separate entity, and then there's the off season, which is everything else, the other nine months of the year. And now you're able to surf those nine months. Yeah, we have a few more beaches that are open to us during the winter. Okay. Um, so that was that was our first feather in the cap, and uh, the the parks people were eager to you know come to an agreement with us. So that that was a very short meeting. Well, it's good because they they were embarrassed by it. They were you know it was. There are surfers who work for the Parks District, and they just consider it uh, like a global embarrassment. Yeah. People are commenting it on it everywhere. Yeah, I could see how that would be. I'm, uh, we had another surfer hassled in 2012, and that at that point, Twitter had started firing. And you had Kelly Slater commenting on, you know, surfers being arrested in Chicago. What the hell's going on? So you don't, you don't want that kind of attention. It's amazing how in just the last few years how much surfing's really evolved because, I mean, not even 10 years ago we're talking about this happening and even now people are just, they're a little, they don't realize that there's so much surfing going on in the Great Lakes. But a lot more people, uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's events, there's festivals, there's surf clubs, you know, and now it's grown into wave pools and it's just, it's going to the Olympics next year. But that was only 2012 and surfing wasn't allowed in the city of Chicago at all. Uh, right. That's crazy. So... The Surfrider Foundation is a needed organization, and it goes back, for me in Rhode Island, uh, back in the 60s, there, there are certain states that have easements to the water, and then there's private land around it. And a lot of times those easements would get pulled into someone else's property, or they would decide, well, I'm not going to let anyone cross this piece of property. And we actually had people arrested in the late 60s uh, on Narragansett Town Beach because they would close off the beach and charge you to go in, but people would jump over the wall or go around the wall, and they, they'd have the cops waiting on the beach for you. We didn't have a surf rider foundation, and it was years and years after that, but we actually had people in jail the same way as Chicago did. And um, they finally... It was private people that fought. It was private surfers that fought the, the, the regulation for the easement to the water, and uh, we were successful. But Surf Rider kind of grew out of those old pioneering days. So beyond the beach access issue, we've been involved uh, as an organization in plastic awareness in all of, all of its forms. Um, in Chicago, we instituted a, a bag ban which has evolved into a fee for a bag, which is more effective, kind of yeah. retraining consumers yeah. at these stores. So that's that's been pretty successful. Uh, but you know, you got to get it sort of all over the state to really make it work. Yeah, it's, but it's it, just in a few places. But the concept's been catching on. I know California. I think it's statewide now, and even here in Tamarindo, like we we've cut out our bags. We have only the the, the compostable ones. We have the compostable bags made out of cornstarch. Yeah, but just the fact that, you know, the straws, I know that was just kind of a, a movement that started, you know, with social media and has grown to, like, you go to a lot of restaurants in different parts of the U.S., mm -hmm. and uh, they don't give you a straw anymore, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So you, yeah. You've, you've fought the plastics, and, and now you're on your way uh, to the big steel plants. Yeah, so what happened was, as I said, surfers are my constituent group number one, uh, and I was looking out for them because I am one and um, we're surfing the south end of the lake 
And the more I get familiar with the scene, I start to hear stories about surfers getting sick. So uh, I, I meet a fellow surfer, uh, Judith Miller, who is a environmental law professor at University of Chicago. Very fortuitous. She and I agreed that Surfrider and her, her group of lawyers could do something. So we started to study the South End, just generally, trying to figure out who the players were, uh, where these facilities are, what they put in the water, what they're allowed to put in the water by the EPA. They can put stuff in, not, not too much, but they're allowed to put stuff in the water. Chromium? You name it. I mean, they, they have their legal discharge limits, which was one of the kind of revelations of this investigation on our part. So I, I, I got all the data from an EPA site, and I put together this sort of infographic map that showed you where the facilities are, what they do, uh, what they put in the water, and how often they break the law, and what kind of fines they pay. And it was just a mind-blowing kind of uh, a map to look at because they're, they're paying like $2,000 a year in fines. No way. Which is not even lunch money. <laughs> and yeah, to, so to it's, worth them, it's worth it for them to circumvent the whole system because it costs them nothing. Yeah, I, as I call it, the cost of doing business. The way they want to. Mm. So we're talking about like factories, not just steel, but like there's factories create, building, manufacturing all kinds of things right on the lakes, right? There's yeah, uh, th the big players there are U.S. Steel. Mm -hmm. Then there's another steel uh, plant, ArcelorMittal. They're global. I don't. Know, I think they're Dutch or something. Okay. And then BP, British Oil. Petroleum. Okay. Those are the big three. And then there's all the uh, industries that service them also kind of crowding in there. So like I said, Indiana has 60 miles of shoreline on Lake Michigan, mm -hmm. 45 miles of which are private land. In other words, fenced off and, you know, they look like the slag heaps of Mordor. So like 45 miles along Lake Michigan of industrial manufacturing and legal industrial manufacturing waste up to certain limits allowed by the EPA and then those limits are being surpassed those laws are being broken and they're being fined basically nothing when you compare it to probably how much revenue these companies bring in that's correct wow <laughs> and then you're just trying to surf some waves right right there. so I, I started this this campaign to do a little undercover work and find out what was going on and I had this team put together of surfer activists me and uh, these lawyers from University of Chicago, Abrams Environmental Law Clinic. And we, we had put together quite a bit of information. I made the, the map. And then in, in, suddenly in the middle of all this activity we were involved in, U.S. Steel did this horrible thing. They released hundreds and hundreds of pounds of hexavalent chromium into the lake. And... If there was ever a team that was ready to pounce, it was us. We, I mean, you already had we, all the data. We, you had everything. We had all set the up. we had the organization, volunteer based organization. Perfect. We're not professionals, surf rider, and then this group of lawyers, and it was it was a dream team. So we we got right in there, and we were the first to file a complaint. And uh, uh, like the day after we filed our complaint, the city of Chicago kind of piggybacked on ours. They wanted some of the action. Oh, that's great. So, you know, they're, they're, they're sucking water out of there for their the drinking. drinking. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. And um, 
So we had an ally, and uh, then all the other uh, organizations in the area sort of lent uh, moral support to. But um, yeah, it was a very interesting process for me who'd <laughs> never done anything like that. Yeah, I, I want to ask, like, and take a quick step back here. Like, what's your, what was your background before you got involved with Surfrider? I'm an artist, graphic designer, web, web developer. So that map, musician. So that map you made was probably a pretty awesome map. Yeah, it's an awesome map. <laughs> so well, you you got to add killer to that. No, industry killer, killer. killer. Yeah. yeah, you got to add that too. Yeah, no, I'm trying to learn corporate uh, killer. Like, and I'm trying I'm trying to gain some insight as to how to spearhead a movement, how to become more of an activist. I mean, we're as we go into the new year, and I just think about. You know, how can I, what can I do that's going to be good? How, you know, and I, and I want to hear these stories because it's, you're just, you're, you had no experience in activism. You're a graphic designer that had a passion for the lake for in, enjoying it in as many forms. But, and you teamed up with a powerful team of lawyers from the University of Chicago. Is that where it's from? Right. Okay. So th the, the way the law clinic works is it's part of their teaching curriculum. Oh, that's so So cool. they just have this fresh supply of students who are <laughs> real eager beavers. Dude, that's great. And they're ready to roll up their sleeves and go, go, go. Yeah, they're sure. hungry to get their teeth into they're, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and they haven't and already... Make a, make a name. And yeah. They, and they haven't started a career and made their contacts where they're worried about ruining a, a relationship right. yet. They're willing to do what's right and not what's... Idealistic. Like, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Because yeah, it, it, it must be quite scary to go up against, you know, it's like, you know, these major, major companies, I imagine, have pretty uh, deep, pockets. deep pockets and hefty, you know, lawyers. Yeah, especially when they have uh, friends behind closed doors at the EPA. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can only of imagine. course. That's a bit of an unholy uh, alliance you, you, there. You haven't it, was it helpful that you kind of caught them with their pants down uh, and there was a mea copa by them? Did, did that help a little bit? Yeah, uh, that, that's one of the issues that's like off the table. They've already been, they've already been found guilty. They already paid two grand for that. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, but hold on. Is it is it possible that perhaps that might not have even had been detected if you had not started doing some investigation to see what was really going on down there? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure because they, in this case, they had to self-report. The issue, for reasons that I, I don't quite understand, they're supposed to be reporting everything that goes on with their facility. And sure. uh, so perhaps yeah. that might be a situation. Well, I don't want. Oh, by the way, we just poisoned half of the lake. Yeah. Well, you know what? And like, let's go ahead and report this one, but not report these other ones. Like, I don't want to say something that's gonna. You know, I'm not trying to create. Yeah, because it'll be U.S. Steel that's running Witch's Rock Surf Camp. <laughs> <you're not careful>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Have you had any fish in, wrapped up in newspaper in the mailbox, or <laughs> any like heavy breathing phone calls late at night? I mean, what's going on? Luckily, no. That's good. That's good. Um, no, I mean, it takes a lot of balls, man, to go and stand up against a giant company that's been doing business for over 100 years that's embedded with the U.S. government. And it's just, I mean, the, it's like the, 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 the bigger and older these organizations are, the harder they are to change, right? You right. See, you see it across the board. So probably talking about these manufacturing companies that really, in order to do it right, shouldn't be discharging anything and should be treating everything that they produce all the byproducts and then disposing of it in a proper way turning it into irrigation water like filtering out absolutely everything not not allowing one i don't know milliliter per whatever of chromium hexavalent chromium which i looked it up man that shit's gnarly that's like yeah. that causes cancer and it's prevalent 
it's prevalent in the lake and you've got like you said 20 percent of the of the earth's drinking water and you've got these companies these for-profit companies that are skirting some of these laws or even they don't even care because it really doesn't even doesn't even cut into what they're making so it's a it's a it's a scary situation when you think about it it takes a lot of guts to to try and make a change you know so i totally commend you there yeah so this this event happened uh two and a half years ago uh-huh. and uh since then we've seen just a steady drumbeat of more violations as if they feel a little more uh emboldened and you know we're we're focused on this one event, but there are, <laughs> there are other events that we could be focused on if we had the manpower and the resources. But, you know, we've, we're spread thin right now, so we just got to take care of what we can. It's, so the que- uh, question I have is after they were found to have done what they did, what did they do to rectify it? How did they, how did they help to try to clean it up? Was there anything like that that happened? There was... An initial penalty put on them by the government, uh, monetary, and then uh, what I would call a promise to do better. And it was very vague, very nonspecific. Um, it was, it, you would characterize it as a slap on the wrist, basically. Yeah, we'll do better. We'll, we'll try to do better. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was about it. Whereas we, we've come in with a very, very detailed kind of bullet point list of things they can do specifically to clean up their operation in terms of how they uh, upkeep their uh, equipment, how they train their workforce, how they run their facilities, all these things that are very specific. And we we hired a a scientist to study their operation and and come up with this list. So, you know, we're we're trying to hold their feet to the fire. Uh, we'll, We'll see what happens. Yeah, so you, you guys aren't actually trying to tell them to like stop your industry, no more, anything. You're just trying to get them to clean up their act and help them to like realize that it's possible for you to do this. It may cut into your margin, but right for the for the good of the of the lake and the good of the of the bloody planet. You know, what I mean, it's possible, and they just choose not to do it. Right. We we think they can run a clean operation. Yeah, hey, Pat. To get back to what you were asking, like, how would you even rectify when you spill? Uh, some lethal carcinogen well, into know, the I, Great Lakes. I, I don't know. Maybe you can help us answer that. But the, the, the fact of the matter is is that I think that, that once it's there, it's really, really difficult to get rid of it. And I don't know if the filtering system that uh, is used for the drinking water, which a lot of people drink that water, um, is adequate. It probably brings it down to the parts per millions that you can tolerate but who really knows that you can tolerate that it's just we have we have a big brain you know humans have a big brain and they can think their way through anything and there's no doubt in my mind that this can be worked out so they're not killing us because they're killing themselves too by polluting the water like that so you know what what would your comment be on that? Yeah, they're, they're counting on the uh, phenomenon of dispersal. They're putting a little bit of stuff in the lake, and then it's going to disperse and be undetectable over time. But the thing is, they've been doing it for decades and decades. And they're and not the only company. It's accumulating. It's, it's bull crap. And they're not the only company doing it, it. You're going after this one company at the same time, you're, and you're investing all this energy into their processes when right next door, there's another factory that's probably 
doing the exact same thing and is happy that there isn't so much of a spotlight on them. That kind of attitude is how extinction begins of a species. You know, you have all kinds of things in that lake that rely on the clean water. And then when you put pollution in, one begets the other as far as pollution. You hurt the birds, you hurt the fish, you hurt the soil, you hurt the grasslands, you hurt all of that stuff. And you're drinking it yourself. Like Mitch said, I think it's the cost of business. You know what I mean? It's one of their byproducts of what they do, and they don't really seem to they give don't, a shit. They don't look for the big picture, which is they have kids, too, that have to live on the planet. Well, what do we always say? You can vote with your wallet, right? It's going to take literally awareness of these issues. I think by doing something like this podcast, Mitch, and I've seen some of your other interviews where you've discussed this topic, I think that is at least in my mind, a great avenue towards spreading the awareness because with that awareness, hopefully you can create some positive change. Just more people knowing about this situation, knowing that companies like U.S. Steel are polluting the, f- the drinking water of millions of Americans. That's like, that's heavy. People, you know, the, people need to hear that connection. And maybe someone's listening to the podcast that, you know, has a big stake in uh, U.S. Steel. Maybe they real maybe you know maybe this podcast will help. I don't you know. Have guys, <laughs> yeah, you might have guys in black suits with sunglasses show up here and go. You talking bad about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the shareholders can put pressure on them, right? I mean, that's if they're the, motivated. I feel exactly right, and and I'm just at least I get excited thinking about. I see my kids and the environmental like outlook they have, and what they're like talking about with their friends, and what's being discussed at school. It's so much different than what what I experienced in school, they already know there's this huge issue. They're already helping to, you know, they're young. They're, they're, they're culturally, they haven't been set in their ways. You know, when you deal with these old companies, these old executives that are just used to making money in their own, their, their own ways, you know, it's like, I mean, that's the hardest part. You got to create that awareness and hopefully you, that leads to uh, people like, like Pat, like you were saying, you know, they've got kids and grandkids. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it begins to, show some change so one of my questions is is that you undertook this project and you continue to undertake these projects uh in chicago area and some of it is volunteer but how are you raising your funds for some of the studies that you have to actually pay for uh we've been uh the chicago chapter has been pretty successful uh raising money we get involved in uh events that provide us a little bit of a windfall and then we take that money and funnel it toward the legal case now we are receiving uh gratis uh lawyer uh support from the university that's great because this is so this smart. is the kind of thing they sink their teeth into oh, so smart i mean that's they, what they love it I, it's just, it's the recipe of how to uh how to become an activist and move things forward of course i always and, and so there's a national chapter of the Surfrider foundation and do they help you too no no we're on our own there but they, they have lawyers, and uh, those folks have been sort of sitting in on all the discussions. So they're, they're, they realize that, uh, you know, it, it uh, enhances their image as an organization to have what's going on in Chicago reflect well. And so it's, it's potentially it's one of the Surfrider's biggest uh, legal involvements. I, I think that, uh, you know, you guys pioneered this whole thing. And, uh, you know, it's a great example to other surf rider chapters uh, to not sit idle and let bad things happen and to be, be uh, proactive. 
And uh, so you, you have a roadmap to uh, successfully fighting big companies, uh, and you know you can't ever let up, I guess. Right. There's, there's no end to this, unfortunately. And how do you find the time to, to do this? It seems like almost a full-time job. Well, I, at a certain point in my life, my kids were old enough that they didn't need me every day, every minute. And um, I had moved from uh, being on staff in the advertising world to being uh, self-employed. So there was a little more flexibility in my schedule. And uh, it just seemed like I was at that point where I could do this. So it was timing. And then, as I like to say, in this case, it was just me being curious, willing to, you know, get involved, follow from point A to point B to point C, and uh, just being open to what could happen. And uh, I will say that this action is, it's really hard to replicate. You know, being hooked up with <laughs> free lawyers is, uh, that's, that's not common. That's genius is yeah. what it is. But it, it, w it was born of my willingness to get involved and try to help my surfing community on the south end of the lake and figure out why some of them were sick. I mean, really sick. And, um, and then, you know, one thing followed the other. And it was all because I was, you know, willing to take it to the next level. Yeah. Well, and I didn't go into this thinking that this was going to happen. This is you can't you can't imagine that this is going to happen, but it it did. So, well, I'm sure there's probably people that would love to like uh, get involved and just don't even know where to begin. Like, and so it's interesting to hear your story, and it, and it's going to go on beyond this particular lawsuit. Um, you know, not to focus on all the bad things that are going on around the Great Lakes of the water with Surfrider, but it's I think it's important to know what other issues are you guys facing where you're at. What are What's the future look like? What other issues are going to have to be addressed? Well, I'll tell you right now, you, you may be aware of this, but the water levels are rising so rapidly, it's it's frightening. Yeah, I mean, we were just there four, three, four months ago, yeah. and there were flooded streets and sandbags, and, and, and we'd heard that the water had receded, but that there were basements filled. and Yeah, winter, uh, the winter storms really bring kind of apocalyptic conditions, and they're going through that right now. We have... Uh, shoreline homeowners are watching their houses sit on the edge of a precipice of sand vertical wall and uh, it's I don't know where it's all going so is know. this is this uh, glacier melt is this rising sea levels what's going on well if you, if you study uh, the science of climate change they talk about how the uh, jet streams are being disrupted by these these temperature changes. What, are you talking CNN or Fox? Because I think I've seen like two very different perspectives on this. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, okay. What, well, I only know one. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that there's studies that say that that there's a cycle to the Great Lakes water table rising and falling. Correct. Right. There's since they started studying the water levels in the Great Lakes, they've detected kind of a 40-year uh, cycle of high and low okay and we we've seen that in in my lifetime where it's gone up and gone down but right now it's spiking up never as high as it's been is, is yeah it ever we're, been we're at an all-time high now okay and um they have just a few days ago uh 
put in motion uh, de uh, declaring uh, Michigan shoreline a disaster area. Wow. And, okay. and freeing up the funds to address everything that goes with that. So it's it's bad. I'm not a scientist, but I see all these glaciers melting and, you know, from being on the beach with Witch's Rock, you know, I mean, a few years ago we had the estuary drift and I was really worried because it came incredibly close to the business. I thought we might lose part of the business. And I was telling my kids, my look, this business isn't always going to be here. The ocean levels are rising, you know, and they forecast, you know, 50 years from now, Florida is going to be a third underwater or blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you got areas that are investing in these expensive seawall systems, like in like well, the Netherlands, I think. It, it seems like it's it's not really a matter of if or when. So I don't think the argument is whether or not that's happening. I think it's, it is happening. And it's probably only a matter of time, right? Like right. It's, it's an unfortunate it's an unfortunate thing, and perhaps this is a cycle, and it will recede. But I think over time, aren't we all on the coast doomed? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm living my life that well, way. I'm and not a scientist, but I play one on TV, and when I play it on TV, it tells me that global warming has an awful lot to do with it. So you're saying that there's these 40-year cycles where it's low and then it's high, but this is high on steroids. Right. And everyone knows that the sea levels are rising. Everyone knows that it depends. the polar ice people caps are, are melting. So it doesn't take this a scientist. People argue that the <clears throat> glaciers always melt every whatever 100,000 years or something. I don't know. but like, Well, that's what a, that's what a capitalist says. I know. And, and I like to make money just like the rest of them. However, a capitalist will tell you what they want you to, to know and hear so they can continue to make money and never think about the future. It's very true. So send those guys with the black hats and the sunglasses <laughs> down to talk to me. Well, it all comes back to voting with your wallet and uh, really supporting the companies that are doing it right and not supporting the companies that are doing it wrong. I feel like that it, it, that capitalism is is the is the method towards creating these sorts of changes. I, I feel like if you can control that or if you can influence that, you've got a much greater path towards success because. Money well, talks. What I, what I, I want to say is that all you people out there that are part of a surf rider foundation, take an example from what you're telling us today about how you work in partnership with think tanks, which are universities, with fresh students that have legal background, engineering background, and work with them to help solve your problems in whatever area you're at. What you have is a... Is a template for success of course there's always going to be problems with that however it's little ripples make big waves and that's what you're doing right now right if you want to get involved follow your passion yeah figure out what you love find people who share that passion and there could be an organization that's already out there for you you know there's probably a tamarindo environmental organization if you love tamarindo i mean for me it was with my surfing background, hooking up with Surfrider, and then everything that follows that. Very well put. Um, and then maybe good things could happen. Yeah, multiple good things. Um, I wish you the best of luck in this whole ordeal with this lawsuit. I'm sure it's going to dig into your free time. <laughs> How much longer are you going to be in Tamarinda? Are we going to get catch some waves together or what? I would like that. Yeah. I'm here till Thursday. All right. So... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I, I feel like I know which is rock. I'm ready to find a secret spot. Hey, wh wh uh, what airline are you flying out on? Southwest. 
Okay, I'm, I'm flying Thursday also. It'd be funny if we're on the same plane. We got United though. I'll, I'll, I'll share a shuttle with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll leave super early. We'll catch some waves on the way. How Wait. can sorry? How can people get more information on what your uh, chapter is doing? How can anyone show some even just moral support or even help you guys out even further? So uh, surfrider.org is kind of where you start. Um, and then you can drill down and find the Chicago chapter and our website. And you can, you can donate if you, if you want to help us out. That's always a good way because we're, we're paying for stuff left and right. And, uh, and that's, that's a great way to help. And you can sign up to be a volunteer if you have a, a chapter that's close to you. And uh, you can buy Surfrider merchandise. There's all sorts of swag out there. Merch. That helps them too. And uh, just get involved. Hey, Mitch, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Really, been great to have you. It's been a real pleasure. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thanks for listening to the Get Out and Surf podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Witches Rock Surf Camp, located beachfront in Tamarindo, Costa Rica. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the show. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. And if you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. That would be great. That's it. We'll see you next week, same place, same time, with another episode of Get Out and Surf. Pura vida y nos vemos.